0: Hello readers, my name is Jason Jefferies, and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is Kate Russo. She is the author of Superhost, which is published by our friends at G.P. Putnam's Sons. Kate, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, it's an honor to have you here. And first of all, congratulations on the publication of your novel. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, Superhost is a novel about an artist, Bennett Driscoll, whose wife has left him, who no longer has the income to sustain his lifestyle. So he moves into his backyard studio and rents his home out on a service called Airbed. This novel, when I first saw the arc, drew me in because of the title. Because for years, I lived next door to a very problematic Airbnb situation, uh, <laughs> where the owner of the home was obsessed with maintaining his status as a superhost, oftentimes at the expense of yeah. his neighbors. Um, I must ask you, Kate, what sparked you to write a novel about a superhost?
1: Well, uh, well, I was one. Um, so that was um, that that's kind of where it, it started. And um, I uh, was at the point where uh, I'm also an artist. So there's the, there's the link there um, that, that Ben and I share. And I was spending a lot more time um, obsessing about my Airbnb status than I was um, in the studio doing paintings. And, and I decided that I wanted to put um, Uh, an artist in that position who was actually quite a lot more successful than I was. Um, And so Bennett came about with the idea of, I really want to put, you know, a man who's had a lot of success and he's kind of squandered it um, and put him in this position of doing the work that I'm doing now.
0: Right. Thank you. And you reference iPods and iTunes in this novel. Why call these things by their proper names, but not Airbnb?
1: Um, you know that's a good question. I think um, the the devices. Um, I, I think I'm, I'm being less critical of the devices for one thing than I am being a bit of Airbnb, and mm-hmm. um, and I think that that was probably what it was about. There's there's quite a few um, also other places in the book, um, restaurants and bars and things that are very specific to me that I changed. Um, I changed the names of uh, really just sort of to protect the innocent, I guess. <laughs>
0: Yeah, sure thing. Thank you so much, Kate. Speaking of iPods and iTunes, our protagonist, the artist Bennett Driscoll, starts listening to hip-hop when his wife leaves him, specifically the rapper Roots Manuva. Um, What does Roots Manuva sound like in your head? (laughs)
1: um that's a really good question i don't know how you describe that i mean he um what's funny about him and, and in case anybody doesn't know he's absolutely real um he is the kind of rapper who uh is sort of will break your heart um and make you laugh from one line to the next and so that was why i knew that i wanted to use him in this novel because that's sort of um what I hope to do. That's kind of the lofty goal uh, that I hope to achieve, is to be able to sort of put you in that position where you don't know whether to laugh or cry. So he was the he was the perfect instigator for that moment. Um, but he's very, uh, he's very urgent. And uh, the first thing that I needed was for Bennett to get moving. You know, he's, he's stuck at the beginning of this book and uh, Roots Maneuver was just the perfect catalyst for getting him up and getting him moving and getting him out the door.
0: That's great. I was not aware that Roots Maneuver was real and I was, um, <laughs> he sounded like the method man in my head. I don't know why, but that's just <laughs> he's what not, I heard.
1: not far off actually.
0: Yeah, nice. Um, one gets the sense as, uh, Bennett Driscoll is listening to Roots Maneuver that he's a little embarrassed as someone who comes onto a subway car. Um, when this happens, he turns his headphones down for example. Uh, but he's embarrassed by the gentleman's perceived response mm-hmm. at the hip hop that he is listening to Bennett is, um, Rapper's Delight, by most accounts, the first rap song, came out 41 years ago in 1979. Mm-hmm. Are we at the moment of time, four plus decades into hip hop's history, when uh, older folks should no longer feel embarrassed to listen to hip hop? What is the root of Bennett's embarrassment here?
1: I mean, I would like to, I would like to think so, um, but ultimately, certainly not in the. I think in the UK, that's not the case. Um, it's a, it has a younger history over there. Um, and, and you do, um, I should also preface by saying that I think Bennett is embarrassed by absolutely everything. So Mm. I'm sure that there are lots of 55 year old men in the UK who are perfectly happy, (laughs) um, to, to listen to hip hop loud. And as a matter of fact, later he goes to a gig and of course it's absolutely populated by, um, 55 year old men. Uh, and, and so it's really more to do with, um, with Bennett than it is, um, with the genre of music itself he uh, really sort of prescribes to the idea that he's supposed to live up to a kind of sort of <sighs> specific man that he's supposed to be, you know, and and he's sort of been telling himself these stories for a long time, which, is, which I think we all do of, this is my taste, this is what I like. Uh, and he won't change it even when it's not true anymore.
0: <laughs> hey, thank you, Kate. Uh, Bennett, is thrust into this situation where he must rent his house out for income partially because his longtime gallery has dropped him, stating that his, Bennett's, work will be more valuable to them when he is dead. Um, this is a question sort of relevant to Bennett, but more about the art world in general. How is an artist supposed to live their lives producing art and also be able to provide food and shelter for themselves if they can't sell their work for anything close to, to true value while they are alive, is this model based on how things truly operate in the art world?
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's one of those things that 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 I use. Like I use it for comic value, but it's actually it's not it's not terribly funny and it's true. Um, it's uh, the galleries are actually starting to do that now. They're starting to um, no longer represent their living artists and focus entirely on uh, the estates that they have. And so so Bennett is one of the artists that that's happened to
0: yeah so with your background as an artist um i'll repeat the first part of that question how do you produce art then if you cannot sell it until you're dead
1: yeah (laughs) um patience i guess um no i i mean it it always it always ends up that you end up having to do something else so that's Mm -hmm. always um that's always been the case for me um i've either been tending bar, waiting tables, cleaning houses, painting houses, Um, it's everything, it's absolutely everything, um, that any any kind of sort of gig work that you can get, because you don't really want an office job, because that's going to, that's really going to get in the way of your creative time, but there's always something, um, and I don't really know that many people who don't have to do that, it's incredibly rare, some people get teaching gigs, which is great, but um, for the most part, we're all doing sort of service industry stuff.
0: All right, Thank you. So if you're an artist who wants to sell your art, you must be patient until you are dead. Um, <laughs> thank you, Kate. Yeah. Listen, listeners, we're going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with Kate Russo. The Bookin' Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin' can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Kate Russo, author of Superhost, which is published by our friends at Putnam. Kate, I want to ask you about a quote regarding Bennett's ex-wife, Eliza, and her desires for Bennett. Um, And this sort of alludes back to what we were talking about before the break. That quote is, Eliza wanted him to spend more time with his daughter, but at the same time was frustrated by his lack of productivity. And this was just one of many mindfuck conundrums of their 25-year marriage, end quote. Kate, I'm hoping uh, for our many working parents out there that you can answer this question for us once and for all. How does one spend more time with their children, with their families, and also increase artus- artistic productivity at the same time? And after you answer that question, can you provide us with some further insight into Eliza's state of mind here?
1: <laughs> well, I'm absolutely the worst person to answer that question because I don't have children. So, <laughs> so uh, I, I think, um, but but that's been, you know, a huge part of, um, for me, you know, the, the feeling of, and I think a lot of women feel this way of having to choose one or the other. Um, and so I, I kind of, I think that for me, that part of it was that I wanted, again, to put a man in that situation where he's feeling like he has to choose. And and Eliza is, um, is the kind of wife who uh, doesn't doesn't want to play the traditional uh, female roles and she wants him to be a part of it. But at the same time, she realizes that that by wanting him to do that, he's also not putting out the, the output as an artist. Um, and, and that affects um, their, their, their bottom line and their, and their bank account. And so I think ultimately she, like so many of us, doesn't really know what she wants um she wants it all the way we all do and the uh the compromises uh I think she rather than making them herself she uh wants Bennett to figure it out
0: right well thank you so much Kate there is a scene where Bennett goes to an art show for his daughter's school program and when he walks in he sees that his daughter's painting is a giant painting of a vagina. Two questions here. One, how is this painting influenced by Bennett Driscoll's work itself? And two, what does Bennett's reaction to this painting tell us about his relationship with his daughter?
1: Well, I think, um, she is certainly um, aware of the fact, um, that her father has spent the better part of his career painting naked women. And, uh, And I think, I think she's clever. And I think that part of what she's trying to do is, is um, sort of throw it back in his face a little bit. Um, So, you know, here's, here's what you're doing, but I'm going to do it. Um, I'm going to do it my way. Um, And I'm going to, I'm, I think she's sort of pointing out for him, you know, this is, you've been objectifying these women for all of these years. And, And it might not have been what you were intending to do, but that was, but that was the output. And I think Bennett is sort of at the beginning of starting to realize that when he sees that painting. Um, and that's part of the journey that he's on is how, how does he actually relate to women? Because he's actually not very good with them um, when it comes to um, getting to know them, speaking to them, listening to them. Um, but anatomically speaking, he knows them very well. So I, <laughs> she's kind of throwing that in his face a little bit.
0: All right, thank you so much, Kate. Um, Bennett Driscoll won a Turner Prize. Hmm. First, Kate, can you tell our listeners what the Turner Prize is? And second, can you tell us why after winning the Turner Prize, Bennett turned from painting nudes towards painting produce, eggplants, avocados, etc.?
1: Yeah. So the Turner Prize is, I'm trying to think what's the best way to describe it. It's kind of like um, I mean, there's somebody gets it in the UK every year. Um, there's usually an exhibition um, surrounding it in one of the in one of the big museums, and more often than not, it's it's work that's meant to push boundaries. Um, and certainly, more and more that's the case now. But it's kind of like I mean, in in terms of equivalence of fame, it's like winning the Pulitzer mm-hmm. um, at, as an artist. It's it's really one of the biggest awards you can win, uh, and I think it. Uh, I think it I think that that sort of freaked him out. Um, and uh, and also sort of going back to uh, to to the earlier question, I think once he had a daughter, which was around the time he won um, or was nominated for the Turner Prize, he I think he started feeling a little uncomfortable with the subject matter. You know, he had this little girl, and he thought, I'm painting all of these naked women. and and I think he wanted to go somewhere um, where he could use his knowledge of contours and anatomy. Uh, And not actually be painting women anymore, because he was uncomfortable with his daughter seeing that, uh, which of course she saw it anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, he, he, I think he wanted to change, um, change what he was doing because again, this is a man who is constantly thinking about what everybody's thinking about him all the time.
0: Right, thank you Kate. Part of what makes this novel *Superhost* so good, so funny, and so fascinating is the focus on the characters that rent Bennett's house from him and Kate, I want to ask you about Alicia Alicia is out drinking one night with friends, not even really good or close friends and in their drunken revelry, they decide that renting a house in London for a trip would be a really cool idea. Um. Alicia takes this drunken idea very seriously and actually rents the house the next day. Of course, her friends um, kind of uh, fall out one by one. Can you tell our listeners about Alicia and what this scene that I mentioned tells us about her character?
1: I think Alicia is... um... Every character in this book has some level of of loneliness to them, um, and and they come into the house. They come into Bennett's house carrying that loneliness, um, but no one more so than Alicia, and uh, she was absolutely she's stuck between um, being absolutely desperate to connect with these friends in New York. Um, and really have friends, have friendships. Um, but part of the reason why that's difficult for her is because she's always living back in the past from when she lived in London. Uh, so she's not connecting with people in New York because she'd really rather be in London. And so here she is now, back in this, you know, back in London. But she's not really in connection with the people that she knew in London either. And so she's she's really stuck in a kind of no man's land, and she realizes it pretty much from the second she steps into the house.
0: Right, thank you, Kate. Um, Alicia's dad left his family for Jesus. What happens when a person leaves their family for Jesus? Can you elaborate?
1: <laughs> well, I think uh, I think um, that that was the the debate, ultimate debate between her parents, um, which is that her mother was not religious at all, and her father. Um, uh, became, um, born again, um, evangelical. And I think, um, it's really unfortunate. Um, I've known people who've been in these similar situations where you sort of feel like you have to choose. And, um, but for Alicia, I think, um, it didn't really occur to her that it was maybe her choice, um, as much as it was her father's. Um, and she sees it as he chose Jesus over me. Yeah.
0: Right. Thanks. Um, Finally, Kate, I could ask you about so many things. And listeners, you are going to love this novel. It is extremely well written. It is funny. It is thought provoking. And it is definitely compulsively readable. It is one of those books that you don't want to put down because the characters are so fascinating. I want to mention all of this before I ask you this last question, because this last question involves none of this. Um one thing that I really enjoyed about this novel, Kate, is that there are so many moments inserted into the story or lines inserted at the ends of paragraphs that had me noting them immediately and thinking, yes, I have this thought too. And now I'm validated because someone else is thinking about this and has written it into this awesome book. Uh, in the moment that I'm referring to here involves something the, along the lines of the dare program. Um, D.A.R.E., for those of you who were born after me, stands for Drug Resistance Awareness Education. And it used to be a part of school curriculum um, from elementary school forward. And there's a mention of a similar type of program in Alicia's first chapter where she thinks about how she and her classmates used to be packed into the school gymnasium for an assembly. And a police officer would come in and tell kids about all of these drugs and then actually pass the drugs around for the kids to look at. Um, I'm hoping, Kate, that you can provide your thoughts on these programs. I personally have often thought, what the hell? I, I never would have even thought about many of these drugs in my entire lifetime, maybe, if it wasn't for this police officer coming to my school and showing them to me and, yeah. and telling me about them. And now, all of a sudden, my 10-year-old curiosity, or however old I was, is piqued. Um, can you elaborate on this scene and why you chose to write about these types of assemblies?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, um, number one, Alicia grows up um, in Southern Illinois, which I, so did I. Um, so I, so I put her that in that, in that place. And we would, we would have these insane assemblies uh, where they would pack all the kids into the gym and, and this cop would open a, you know, a suitcase um, full of, full of drugs. And, mm-hmm. and we would, you know, and we were, we were eight, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, not even, close to being able to comprehend. Um, and, and I think it worked out differently for a whole bunch of kids. So some of them, um, immediately it sparked their curiosity. That's what they wanted. They didn't know they wanted it until the cop showed it to them. Mm -hmm. And so that was one camp and, and I'm sure it didn't serve them well. Um, and, and then the other camp was kids like me who just got so terrified, um, that, And, you know, and there were more, you know, there was, you know, there's the sex education assemblies. There's the, and I mentioned the, the, the the snake guy, you know, who comes in and because when you grow up in Southern Illinois, there's, there's poisonous snakes around. And so they're trying to show us, you know, what the dangerous ones look like. And you start eventually to equate all of these things with each other. And so some kids, I think, grew up thinking that you know sex and drugs were as scary as rattlesnakes and and you you started to create these sort of false equivalencies from these ridiculous assemblies <laughs>
0: Right. Yeah. I remember in assembly when I was in kindergarten. They passed around a jar that had a black, like a live Black Widow spider inside yeah. of it. And you know, when I was reading your book, I'm thinking, well, what happens if, you know, the bag of cocaine or the black widow spider or whatever goes missing?
1: Yeah. Um, there you sp- go. That's the plot of your novel.
0: Yeah, there you go. Um <laughs> well, thank you, Kate. And thank you for writing this wonderful novel. Um, I cannot wait to turn folks on to it starting tomorrow as we sit here and record listeners, I have been speaking with Kate Russo, author of Superhost, which is published by our friends at GP Putnam's Sons. Kate, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Once again, I would like to thank Kate Russo for joining me. Copies of Superhost can be ordered at www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please navigate to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get a free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Bookin.